finishing up a series today. So we've been in the series the last three weeks talking about intimacy and how we want something. There's something in our hearts that we all want and we want it now. So we want this friendship now. We talked about being friends with others, initiating that. And if you want to have a good friend, then you have to be that good friend and you have to initiate it. That's been like the key of this series. You have to go there. And that's what Jesus did for us. He stepped out. He became our friends. That's how we can be friends with him. And you have to choose wisely. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You have to choose who your inner circle is and who is you are spending time with because you're going to become like them. Uh, my wife has made fun of me a lot in the last couple of weeks. She said, you've said the word stupid a lot from the stage, but it's true. Stupid rubs off, right? And if you hang around with that, it's going to rub off. We learn there's different levels of friendship. You have an inner circle. It's not a, a click. It's because that's how God designed us. You have just a few people that you spend a lot of time with, and then that grows, and you have other friends that you don't spend as much time with. And we talked about the idea that some of you, some of you might need to end some of your friendships. There might be some friendships that are a bad influence on you, and you might have to say no to some of those because of what they're doing um, to you. But I, I know this. Um, someone smarter than me came up with this. It's, this is what we all want. And I feel this is why. What we all want is we want to be included, we want to be liked, and we all want a sense of control in our lives. I believe this to be true. I can see this. I want some control of who my friends are, what's going on in my life. I want to be able to control that at some level. When it gets out of control, I feel lost and, and weird. I like to be liked. Who doesn't, right? We all like to be liked. This is a good thing in us. And we all want to be included, even if we're introverts, even if we're no fun at the party, please just invite us. Even if we don't come to the party, invite us to the party. That makes us feel good as introverts, right? We still want to be included even if we're not there. So this list, I know I can look at this list and think this doesn't always happen. I know this doesn't happen in our lives all the time. So because this doesn't happen, it's easier for me to not be real. It's easier for me to fake it, to put up a facade, and just not to show my true colors all the time. But I know this, being fake doesn't get us into that deep connection that we need. If I'm fake, if I'm not the real person here and on Tuesdays or with my family, if I'm a different person, um, then I miss out on the connection that I really want. Put filters in my life. And when I put filters in my life, here's what I've learned. I can be liked, but I won't be known. And people won't know who I am. And that's important. Because the opposite of filtering, putting on filters, being fake, is this. And this is what we're talking about today. Being vulnerable. I don't like being vulnerable. Because when you become vulnerable, um, it, it opens yourself up. But you can't have deep, true, fulfilling relationships unless you're vulnerable. And that's a scary word. It comes from a Latin word. So the background of this word, being vulnerable, is vulnerare. It means to wound. And that's why we don't like it. Because when I open myself up to somebody else and show really who I truly am, I open myself up to being wounded. If I'm vulnerable with you, 
I'm giving you the opportunity to wound me. And you've been there, you've put yourself out not knowing what those people were going to do with your heart or who you are, and that's tough. But we know we can't have real close relationships unless I'm vulnerable. And it's tough because it's easier to be shallow. It's easier to put up my defenses. It's easier to be guarded. Then I won't get wounded because I'd rather be fake than to be wounded. So I'd rather just talk about football and the weather and my car, right, than to get hurt again. So we don't want to be vulnerable because I've been hurt before. I don't like it. I don't want to do that again. So we risk not being vulnerable and we show off fake who we are. We use filters and we stay on the surface level. We numb ourselves with video games and Netflix and we work a crazy amount of hours and it's easier that way. We even use the excuse, I'm I'm introverted when maybe you're really not just because you don't want to be hurt by being vulnerable. But we know we're missing out. When we do this to ourselves, we know there's something out there that we're missing out on. We crave authenticity. We don't want to be fake, but sometimes it's easier to look authentic than to really be authentic. And we give out mixed signals. We fake authenticity. And we know when we fake authenticity, (laughs) that doesn't really work. And we can risk the pain of being open to others, but we might get hurt again, or we can fake it. But we know when we fake it, it comes with a price. I'm going to unpack this a little bit. Hang with me. I'm going to dive a little deeper on this one. Um, This price that we pay is a thing called shame. And you're wondering, okay, shame, where is he going with this? This seems like a whole rabbit trail. It's not. Hang with me. I'm through this. Here's another way that I've heard it explained. Shame is when I feel small or when somebody makes me feel small. And on the surface, it can look like different things. We, We show this through fear or humiliation or anger. So here's what I'm talking about. It's when your mom makes a comment about your parenting skills. And emotionally, you go to everything that she did wrong with you when you were being raised. And you really just want to go off, right? It's when your boss or your teacher corrects you. And maybe they did it wrong, but maybe they did it right. Maybe they're doing it in a loving way, but you associate being corrected with not being good enough and you're freaking out on the inside. You feel small. It's when you look at money coming in and the bills that are due and they're not matching up. And instead of thinking this is a challenge in my life, you start to think I'm not man enough to take care of my family. You feel small. It's, it's when you're in a dating relationship, but you're not yet committed, and you're scared to be vulnerable with somebody because you're not sure what they're going to do with it. It's when you mess up as a parent again, and you're just wondering, my kids are going to be so messed up when they grow up. It's when you're dealing with your ex, and they say that one thing that just makes you feel small. Logic for us the response that we want to do through this is to put up a filter. We want to numb our feelings. We don't want to commit to anything, so we become cynical because cynicism protects us from future hurt. And the result around me is that we think everybody is driving me crazy, but the problem might be 
me and how I am being fake or vulnerable with others. So you've heard it said, and I've said it here before, who you are is more important than what you do. And oftentimes maybe you shift gears and you think about your career, job, what you do. But I think it's, it's more than that. Shame says that you messed up and that that action that you did that messed up is inadequate now. And your inadequacy is who you are. Shame makes that connection that says when you mess up that that's who you are. But that's not what scripture teaches us. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn um, to Genesis. The first book of the Bible, chapter 3 is where we're going. Um, if you have your phones, get your phones out, your Bible version, um, open and, and look at this with us. Genesis chapter 3, Satan comes to Adam and Eve. And Satan says to Eve, hey, there's some fruit on that tree over there. It's really good stuff. You should go eat it. And they push back on Satan and say, no, God told us we shouldn't do that. Satan says, did he really? Is that really the way he said it? No, he just, he doesn't want you to eat it because you'll be like him. You'll have wisdom, you'll be smart, you'll have knowledge, and that's why. So it's good stuff, and it's good for you, you should go eat it. So verse 6, if you're there, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, this is the New Living Translation that I'm using here this morning. The woman was convinced, it says, She saw that the tree was beautiful and that the fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom that it gave her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened. Now I'm going to stop there and I'm going to explain the feeling that I think they were walking through at that point. And I believe that at this point, this is when shame entered the world. They felt shame, and they went and covered up, which is what we do when shame hits us. We want to cover it up. We want to put up a facade. We want to fake it. We want to show somebody different than what's really happening to us. But know this, shame is not natural for us. We're not supposed to feel shame We're not supposed to feel inadequate. You're not supposed to feel that you're not enough. You're not supposed to feel small. And this sin in our lives, and we see it here, sin leads us to shame. We don't want to. I don't like this feeling. I hate feeling shame. Um, We don't want to feel small when people make us feel that way. And some of us, there's, there's a big movement, a lot of people, when shame happens in their life, they have this feeling, I'm not supposed to feel this way. Nothing should make me feel ashamed, so this is the response. Then let's get rid of sin, meaning standards, meaning truth. If I can just get rid of truth and the concept of sin in my world, then I won't feel shame. I'm just going to eliminate the concept of sin, not, not my sin, but the concept of sin. And so some people just throw out that concept and all standards of truth. But maybe we should just approach it differently because we know there's standards and we know there's truth. But there's a difference between being guilty and feeling guilt and shame. Guilt is saying I messed up. 
Shame says that that mess up defines who I am and I feel shame. Guilt can be a good thing. Meaning this, if someone steals something from you, you want that person to feel guilt and they can come and bring it back and give that back to you. Um, If your kids mess up, if your kids sin, you want them to feel guilt because guilt does this to us. Guilt will actually lead us to repentance and forgiveness. If I feel guilty about something, I'm going to ask for forgiveness and that brings healing back to a relationship. Shame is something you carry around with you and it makes you feel small or not worthy. The problem, I believe, in our lives is we cannot not sin. And that leads us somewhere. One of those two things. Romans chapter 7, Paul said it this way. The trouble for me, for the trouble is with me, sorry, for I am all too human. I am a slave to sin. I like the way he puts this. It it explains, I think, all of us to a T. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Verse 19, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Have you ever been there? Yeah, me too. I've done that. Verse 21, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I'm so glad Paul wrote that, because I've put myself there so many times. What he's really saying is what we already know. Um, You want to be a good person, you desire to do good, but you don't always do it. And this isn't just God's standards, You, you can't even live up to your own standards, Write your own Ten Commandments and see how long it takes you to break one of your own that that you write. When you set a standard of truth, we have a tough time living up to that. And we live in a culture that tries really hard to say there's no standards, but there is. And we use all kinds of intellectual gymnastics to deny or filter it, but we know we fall short. So we end up faking authenticity. Because we don't want people to know how badly I fall short. Okay, I get it. You're probably sitting here thinking, dude, I didn't come here to get preached at like this. This is really depressing. This is a horrible sermon. You're, you're just making me feel even worse than I was when I came in. Thanks for the uplifting encouragement that we got this morning. And um, here's the good news. There is good news. Let me shift gears for us. There's really good news. And the good news doesn't come at the end. The good news actually comes at the very beginning. Many people grow up, maybe you have as well, you grew up in a religious system, even a Christian background that said, you're a sinner. That's what you grew up hearing. You're a sinner, that's your foundational truth. That's what defines you, that's who you are. It's no fun to grow up like that. That's why a lot of people have ran away from the church because they know they're not perfect and they don't, you don't need anyone else telling you that. And that's what you've heard the whole time, that you are a sinner. Well, that's not who you are. That's not the beginning. So we read Genesis 3. Okay, that's where we were. That's where we started Genesis 3. Sin, shame, sin leads to shame. But there's other chapters before Genesis 3. 
So if we go to Genesis 1, which comes before Genesis 3, all right, make sure you understand that. I I believe this needs to permeate your soul. This needs to live in you. You need to be healthy with this before we go anywhere else. So if you're still there, flip over to 1. Genesis 1, verse 26. Again, this is New Living Translation. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then verse 31, this is an important one. We should always look at Genesis 1 verse 31. Then God looked over all that he made and he saw that it was very good. You got to get this. We are very good. The foundational truth of Scripture is not that you are a sinner. The first truth of Scripture is that you were created by God. You were created by the creator of the universe. He created you. And not only did he create you, he looked at you and said, wow, that's good. Not just good, very good. Now, I know you've been called a lot of things in your life, but when the creator of the universe looks at you and says, that's very good, you need to believe that. And if you look at sin without this as the backdrop, sin will destroy you. This has to be the backdrop to everything in our lives. The foundational truth of your story of human history, Christianity, is that you were created by a loving God who says you are very good. This is why you have worth. This is why you have purpose. This is what defines you, who you are. And I I know some people, they get mad when we talk about sin. They push back and they say, don't judge me, right? And I get it if... If I talk about sin in an unloving way, in a condemning way that says I'm better than you are, then I can understand why people would get mad. But whenever here I talk about sin, I always want it to be against the backdrop of Genesis chapter 1, that we have a loving God who created us and loves us. So sin is not my beginning. My beginning is that I am valuable, a valuable creation of God. And if you've been wandering through your life trying to find meaning in empty things, you're not going to find your meaning in empty things. You will find your meaning in a God who created you and has purpose for you and looks at you and says, I love you and I think that you are very good. That's who you are. And we can't confuse Genesis 3 and Genesis 1. We can't switch them around and we can't get them mixed up. There is still truth in Genesis 3. We are still sinners. That is still a true statement. Genesis 1 doesn't take that away, but it does put it first. In your mother's womb, I knit you together, and you are very good. That's what defines you. The problem is, we sin. I do sin, and that's why Jesus came. Romans chapter 7, Paul's writing this, verse 24. Um, We're going back to this, Romans 7. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? In verse 25, we've got to read on. Thank you, God. 
The answer is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So yes, sin is trying, sin is in our lives, and really sin is us trying to be like God. It goes back to Adam and Eve and what happened there. It's us wanting control of our lives and saying, I don't trust what God has designed or what he tells me to do. I think I can do a better job. I'm going to go eat this fruit or I'm going to go do my thing or I'm going to try and fix my own life or do my own way because I think I know better than God does. It's control. That's what sin is. But Jesus entered the picture Because God is not content with you rejecting him. God is not content with you walking away from him. And Jesus initiated a friendship with us. And he took our sin upon himself. And if you haven't accepted who he is and experienced that freedom, then you need to do that. We do that, I call it the ABCs, by admitting That Genesis 3 is true. I admit, I have sinned, yes. But it's also believing in Genesis 1. But I believe that God has created me and that Jesus has died for my sins. And then see, you confess that. I confess that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, my Lord and Savior. And you take a step of baptism. If you haven't done that step, please do. I'm excited this morning. We have three baptisms next hour. I'm here. We're going to have three baptisms this morning. If you haven't done that, we're actually setting a date for you and saying, hey, do it. Um, What if in two weeks, we just said in two weeks, we're going to have a baptism Sunday. We're going to have a Sunday where you you can, if you've been wavering on this and trying to decide if you're going to be baptized or not, in two weeks, we're going to have a baptism Sunday where this is your day to come and be baptized. This is what God has taught us. The scripture has taught us to do this, to be obedient to him through that. And once you know who you are and whose you are, you can be vulnerable to that. You can open yourself up and trust that God is going to take care of you and to trust in what he's teaching us. When you do that with God, then you can also do that with others. The result of this is I can be vulnerable then in my relationships. I know who I am and whose I am because I'm created by God and redeemed by Jesus. What I have done in my life doesn't define me. He took it and he nailed it to the cross. And Jesus died for me. I was created by God and I'm good. This is why I pray every day. This is why I read scripture. This is why I come to church and worship with you. Because I need to be reminded that what I did is not who I am. Now, I know I did it. I did those things. I've said those things. I've watched those things. But that's not who I am. Jesus has redeemed me. He has saved me. Um, He has given me a new heart And I need to be obedient to what he's teaching me to do, to be vulnerable in his teaching. And maybe it's to be vulnerable and step forward in obedience towards baptism. Because I've done this, now I can get back in the arena with friendships. I can be vulnerable with people around me. Friendships are important to me because that's how God designed us. And I really... I believe the answer, um, to really answer our need for connection, 
with others is to be vulnerable with each other. And if I know whose I am, then I can be comfortable in who I am and I can risk being vulnerable with you. Now, I don't believe this is a personality thing. It doesn't matter if you're an extrovert or an introvert, if you're a thinker, if you're a feeler, if you know what your strengths are, if you know what your number is on a personality profile. Um, it doesn't matter. You have to be connected with someone else. He designed us this way. And if you want true connection, emotional closeness with someone else, you have to be real with them. You have to be vulnerable. And you have to tell your story. Jim Bergen, he's a pastor in, in Colorado, um, a friend of mine. I, I love this quote. He says, you need to tell your story before it has a bow on it. Meaning, you can't wait until God cleans everything up in your life before you get real, before you tell somebody else your story, before you um, tell it, before you're vulnerable. Somebody. If you wait until God makes you perfect, it'll be too late. You'll be in heaven. And then you won't have the opportunity to share that with somebody else. Your job is not to be perfect. Your job is to be real. So here's your opportunity. Easter is coming. It's right around the corner. Just a few weeks. Was it five weeks, six weeks before Easter? So here's what I want you to do. There's, there's something for you to do before Easter comes. And this is part of this series, Friendship, leading up to Easter. What you need to do is to bless somebody else. Your role is to bless somebody. And you've heard us talk about this. One, begin with prayer. Who are you praying about? Who is it that you need to befriend and they might not be in your inner circle. Hopefully your inner circle already has a place and is connected to a church. Um, we've talked about that already. But maybe it's someone on your outer circles of friendship. Who do you, are you praying about that you're going to invite to know who Jesus is, to come in and be a part of that? Then you need to listen to them. Uh, listening is not important. That's letting them be vulnerable with you. Letting them trust you with who they are in their heart. And not taking advantage of that and hurting them. Just listen to their story. Eat with them. Eating with them is opening yourself up to them. Letting them see your heart. Eating with them is something that you can do that is emotional with someone else. To serve them. This is important as well. To serve them means you have listened to them and you know how you can just step in and give something back to them. And then finally share with them. Then you can share who Jesus is and what he's done, how God has created all of us to be good. That's really who we are, not what they've done. And you can share with them and you can invite them in. Here's the problem, I believe, with all of this. I continue to mess up, and so do you. I wish that it happened this way, that when you came to Jesus, when you got baptized, you never sinned again. Then you were perfect after that. But we're still human. We still make mistakes. We still fail. And this is what Satan likes to do. Satan likes to then pile on shame. And shame says, that's who you are, your sin. But that's not true. When we mess up and we make mistakes, it actually gives God a chance to prove his grace and to show how much he loves us and how much he forgives us. And every time I mess up, the voices of shame keep coming back. But I also know that voice of God is there saying, that's not who you are. I love you. And you can be vulnerable with him. So I believe the answer to a stale marriage, the answer to a stale marriage is vulnerability. I believe the answer to 
um, surface level relationships is vulnerability. I believe the answer to a dating relationship that's not going anywhere is vulnerability. It's either going to take it to the next level or it's going to end it. And I believe your relationship with God, the answer to that is being vulnerable with him. And if you haven't done that, I'd invite you to. Um, If you have, continue to trust in him with that. If you would, let's pray together. Father, I'm grateful for your, your trust how much you love us and what you've done for us. And I pray that as we trust you, that we can be vulnerable and that we can let others into our lives as well. God, continue to help us in our relationships and how we treat each other, but let that stem from who you are to us and let that be seen through others. We're grateful and we love you. In your name we pray, amen.